0: through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Hello, you're listening to The Gist of Freedom, and I am your host tonight, Leslie Gist. We have on a line, Ms. Eiffel. Are you on a line, Miss Eiffel? Yes, I am. Great. Would you be so kind to introduce yourself and in our topic for tonight?
1: Sure, and thank you, Ms. Gist, for inviting me. I'm very excited to be on and talk with you and your listeners about the importance of black history. My name is Adrena Ifill, and I am the founder of Doubleback Productions. Doubleback Productions is a Boutique um, communications firm that specializes in content management, project coordination, and multimedia presentation. With our mission is to inform, preserve, and provoke discourse across the globe regarding
0: the history of the African diaspora. Wonderful. And uh, as you know, uh, black history is important to the Gist of Freedom, and we even have a couple of websites that you can learn more. And here are shows, which is www.blackhistoryuniversity.com and www.blackhistoryblog.com. And uh, we know that you also uh, produced a film, you're a filmmaker. Could you tell us about that award-winning film? Sure. I
1: produced a one-hour historical documentary on Congressman Robert Smalls. A Patriot's Journey to Freedom. Um, it released in 2006, and it was a project that was sort of um, one of my great loves to work on and to research, in addition to get to know the um, his descendants. It was a project, um, and you can see a trailer of it on youtube.com slash doublebackprod, um, and... It's a story of a heroic American who was enslaved before the Civil War and did uh, a courageous act to free himself, his um, fellow uh, workers that he worked with on the ship, and his family, and then um, really became a community leader and Served in the US Congress for five terms after Reconstruction until the end of the um, 19th century.
0: Okay. Um, his story is fascinating. Could you go into depth about uh, exactly what he did, or how he commandeered the ship? Yes.
1: Um, he was um, born in South Carolina in the Beaufort area um in eighteen thirty nine and he um was hired out by his master to work from the docks of Charleston, South Carolina. And during that time he gathered um and he acquired a lot of skills as a waterman, um and became a very knowledgeable of the Charleston waterway waterways and was also um uh, very skilled um uh skilled um uh basically a captain Amen. of a ship. Um but that the fact that he was enslaved, he didn't have that role. But he did decide that this would be an opportunity for him to um become free. Um, he uh along with the other um slave crew of a particular ship called the planter, which was a gunboat um uh that was running um Ammunitions um, during that time in 1863, they hatched a plan that they would commandeer uh, the boat and turn it over into the Union, because at the time it was um, during the Civil War. And they executed the plan almost um, flawlessly, um, where he assumed the position as the ship's captain. He had studied the captain very carefully, saw you know his um, the signals that he gave um, his mannerisms and how to do it so that he could safely pass through the confederate waters which at that time were being patrolled into the union waters gave the appropriate signals um the um the the slave crew and their family were hiding down below and once he crossed over into the union waters then he signaled that he was um you know uh, that he it was a friendly friendly boat um, coming over, and from there, you know, he was um, hailed in the New York papers at the time as a hero, um, and the skills that he had developed and also the knowledge of the waterways um, allowed him then to become part of the Union Navy, um, and uh, he um, was heralded by um, uh, General DuPont and written up as a valuable player in that uh, part of the Civil War.
0: Wow. Um, This is the first time I'm hearing about his family escaping on the boat with him as well. Uh, Do you know any more, um, or can you give us a little bit more information about the family members? How many uh, did he uh, uh, take with him when he commandeered the ship? Sure. He um
1: he had on the on the ship with him was his wife and two children. Um and uh Elizabeth and Sarah. And then in addition, I think there about about 8 or 10 other people that were on the ship with uh him with their um the the crew and family that uh escaped to freedom um after that they resettled back in Beaufort and um he uh his family grew uh, he had an additional son his wife at the time um Hannah she soon uh passed away afterwards and he remarried and had a son
0: okay and is it true that he he uh uh ended up living in the home of the his former enslaved master Yes, and I
1: think that's sort of the story actually speaks to his character and his strength of character, um, because mm-hmm. as we know, in the time period right after the end of the Civil War and Emancipation, there was a lot of um, a lot of animosity to blacks no longer holding the servitude role. Um, however, he had uh, was a successful businessman also, and also served in this. Um, South Carolina State Legislature, um, and he was in a position to purchase the property of his former owner. Also at the time, the former owner's wife was still living, but some have described her as a bit feeble in the mind. And so huh. she um, he allowed her to remain in the house as if it was still her house um, and um, live out the rest of her days in there but he did own the house and raised his family. Um, The house is on the National Historic Register, so if you're ever in um, Beaufort, I definitely encourage you and your um, listeners to visit the property. It's beautiful, and it's such a great historic space, and it's great that um, we're able to preserve it.
0: That's so true. And um, the other thing I read somewhere was that uh, he received an award, a reward for uh, taking this ship Yes
1: He did He did receive an award It it did take a, um, Interestingly enough a, uh, a significant number of years For him to receive that um, Because it was contested Since he was um, Considered a slave at the time um, But eventually He did um, petition And the petition was granted
0: And he did receive a,
1: a reward Wow
0: now, uh, when he, the night that they took this ship, what were the uh, white sailors doing? Did they have to attack them? Did they throw them off the ship? How did this happen?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. That is an important part. They actually had gone ashore um, to relax, maybe uh, to do other things, and so they had left the this- the slave crew to watch the ship that night, and so they had been um, the uh, Robert Smalls and um, the slave crew had been waiting for this great opportunity to put their plan into action.
0: Well, so when they, when they discovered that they went to shore, I guess they went home and told the family, "Hurry up, get on board. We're heading to freedom." Y- yes. Yes,
1: and they knew it was going to be dangerous, and he actually had um, talked very seriously with his wife and asked her, you know, this you know, this could have two two outcomes. We could make it or we could be captured and, and you know, punished severely, um, if not, you know, worse. Uh, and so he asked her to think very carefully. You know, he said, I can go and come back for you, um, but she was dedicated and determined that they were going to go together as a family.
0: Wow. Well, now, can we move on to his career after um, the rescue mission? Yeah, sure. He um, His
1: public career began after the war, and he um, was a delegate to the 1864 Republican National Convention. Um, and he interestingly enough um was one of the leaders in a mass boycott to desegregate public transportation in 1867. So he leadership was actually in his blood. And what had happened was that he had taken um he had traveled to Philadelphia um and he was um he was still uh working you know in in terms of the navy and he had taken the planter up there but he um uh, so he was waiting for repairs to ha- happen on the on the planter and he aborted a streetcar and it, he was removed because it was the streetcar uh, that he boarded was considered uh to be all white and he challenged that um that law of segregated public transportation um he was also he also had a uh incident where he was taking a train to Washington and um there was another um challenge for him to r- which car that he would ride into and so he uh was very astute at knowing that this is something that could be challenged in the legislature um, by policy and by law and he took it upon himself to be one of the leaders of that um he was elected uh to the uh South Carolina um state house and then also in uh 1874 he was elected as a US House of Representatives um and served five terms there um he was very um uh he was a, a, a a very savvy politician as well as a, a peacemaker. He was known um as and in the time as you can imagine, um, particularly in uh South Carolina, there was a lot of tension that was going on and he was known to intervene in that in this tension and make sure that all parties, black and white, um, had some sort of satisfaction, came uh, to come out to come out of whatever the, the incident would be so that it wouldn't come uh to violence
0: um and wow. mm-hmm. now when you're talking about voting and he was elected could you uh, clarify um the difference between the fight for voting rights during the Martin King era versus how we were able to elect a black man in South Carolina um in 1867 or earlier Sure. Um, right after the
1: um the Civil War, during the Reconstruction era, um, as you can imagine, blacks were very excited to exercise all the rights of freedom and citizenship. Um, and so there was a lot of um uh, voter support and, and coming out into the polls. Um and once the n- number of um black politicians and black legislators were increasing that's when voter intimidation started to to um, take hold in the in the states and also in the southern states um, they were also in the process of being um, entered back into into the Union and there were certain things that they had um, certain uh, requirements they had to meet um, in order for them to be readmitted to the Union and part of that Citizenship would be to all men. Because of course, at that time, the focus was on men, um, and so the rise of these um, red shirts and militias and 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 um, what we would consider um, clan activities at the time gradually built up after that time, which then dampened and oppressed the um, the vote. And as you, if you can, if you take a step back and look at the broader view of the number of um, black members on the state and also national level began to dwindle as we approached 1900 because of uh, this violence um, around voting and other sort of uh, economic and political intimidation that occurred. And it's it, interestingly enough that you would see that continue on until uh, you know the 1940s and 1950s, where, again, in um, 1875, there was a Civil Rights Act, and, again, we come into 1965 with another Civil Rights Act. So you see this is a certain sort of continuum that happens, and subsequently, yes, and subsequently, you'll see the number of um, black national and local officials rise after the Voting Rights Act is passed in 1864. I mean,
0: Wonderful. Okay, Wonderful. Um, Now we can move on to talk more about um, your projects. You worked with the uh, Black Caucus. Yes, I'm a consultant for the the
1: Congressional Black Caucus Foundation on their A Voice project, and you'll find it at avoiceonline.org. And it is a virtual library of the achievements of African-American legislatures, including um, Robert Smalls. So... We look at from 1868, where you have the first um, African American elected to Congress, until the present, where we have modern-day um, Congressional Black Caucus, the CBC, and we see an amazing amount of um, legislative achievements and the impact they've had on U.S. policy. Um, so this project, the A Voice Project um, that I direct, was uh, launched in 2006. And it was launched with four exhibits, and we break it down in terms of um, thematic aspects of uh, U.S. legislative policy. So we have several exhibits now. Um, We have the origins of the CBC, the Voting Rights Act, the anti-apartheid movement, the making of the Martin Luther King Holiday Bill, women of the CBC, Environmental justice, education policy, and the latest one is criminal justice. Wow. And can you spell A Voice uh, again and give out that website?
0: And, and also sure. give out your
1: information, too. Okay. Um, it's the A Voice Project at the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation, and that's avoiceonline.org, www a V O I C E O N L I N E dot O R G.
0: Okay. And your website, which you want to talk about?
1: Yes. And my company's website is doublebackproductions.com. And that's D O U B L E B A C K P R O D. U-C-T-I-O-N-S dot com and you can also join me on Facebook and Twitter.
0: Wonderful. Now, how did you get involved with filmmaking, with the Congressional Black Caucus and and uh, all these different projects you're involved in? Well, let me tell you, Ms. Uh, Kiss, it's actually a... Um,
1: uh, a, a confluence of fortunate events that happened. Yeah. Um, this is probably sort of the fifth chapter of my career that I'm entering, and all the things that I've done beforehand have led me to the, to be able to do this. Um, I was a political science major, undergrad, at uh, Williams College, and I was always fascinated um by the involvement of African Americans um, in terms of policy, but why we didn't know that much about them. And so I had always been gathering this knowledge, and, you know, my parents really influenced me in their um, love of history and knowledge and just asking those questions of who, what, why, when, and where, and just always um, gathering that information. And so I had the opportunity to get exposed to filmmaking and in my marketing um, career that I did. And I thought that film would be the best way to tell a story of such a magnitude. Um, For me personally, Eyes on the Prize was so instructive for stories that I had heard from my mother and my grandparents um, but actually, seeing uh, having that visual to complete the picture really helped me understand um, what the Civil Rights Era meant uh, meant and what it was like every day. Um, and so I thought that using film and documentary film specifically would be the best way to tell this story. Um, so after uh, a period of time, I tried to convince. Other people to do um this film, and nobody was uh really biting, so I decided to go back to school to study filmmaking myself um and I studied documentary film and then started working in the field and really realized there were so many untold or little known stories um that had to get out there and how also uh Film and, and, and archive research and, and using uh, multimedia as a preservation tool is a key to longevity for these stories so that they can be preserved and passed on from generation to generation. And with um, the rise of this digital technology, it's been even easier and been even, um, uh, uh, it's easier to, to do and it's easier to share. Because um, if you look at the AVOICE website and also my site, people from China, India, um, Nigeria, Sweden, you know, uh, reach out regularly, visit the site, learn about this information, and hopefully, you know, are able to share it with their community, um, which I think is very important.
0: Okay, wonderful. Now,
1: how how do you get schools involved? Are you working with any schools? Yes, um, schools are sort of one of the priority of of, of my mission personally with my company and also in terms of a lot of projects that I work on, um, particularly like the AVOICE project, that's very instructive. And so on the AVOICE site, we also have a section called the For Educators section, and that's where um, each of the exhibits has a companion
0: uh,
1: lesson plan that educators, teachers, and even non-traditional educators um, can use in their classrooms or activity groups and really get uh, kids engaged in learning this history. We try to make it interdisciplinary. So if it's um, you're working on an art or you're working on a history project, social studies project, a math project, um, you know, an English project, that this content is available and useful um, for for an educator to use. Um, also, in terms of my film on Robert Smalls, I've spoken with lots of libraries, um, school groups, um, boys and girls clubs, um, different sort of social uh, groups, youth groups, um, to talk to them about the film, what lessons we can learn today um, from Robert Smalls, um, what was the importance of this period of history, um, and... And as you said, the connection between um, the Reconstruction era, the Civil Rights era, and then if we look at modern day times, what's the 21st? what impact does it have on the 21st century and what lessons we can learn?
0: Okay. Uh, and I'm also reading that you worked with uh, Dick Gregory, actor Ozzie Davis, uh, and uh, Elizabeth Catlett, and singer Odetta. Mm-hmm. Explain. Yes.
1: Um, I had the opportunity to work at the National Visionary Leadership Project, which was a Mm -hmm. project that was founded by Camille Cosby and Renee Poussant, and its mission was to chronicle the oral histories and lives and achievements of African Americans over the age of 70. Um, So I worked there, and it was a wonderful experience to sit down and record the stories and engage with, um, as you said, an Odetta um, folk singer, um, a Dick Gregory, who we're lucky to still have around, um, Ozzie Davis, who was an activist and an actor and a playwright, Um, and hear, in their own words, um, what uh, their lives were like when they were younger, when they were at the height of their career, and their reflections back um, on that time period. Um, And those... uh, Archives are available at the Library of Congress for people to hear, listen, use in their research, and and just really, uh, I I think there are a lot of pearls of wisdom also within our elders.
0: Do you think the just the Freedom Show would be able to
1: uh,
0: record and share those uh, recordings that you have?
1: I I think that would be possible, and I would love to talk to you further about that. That
0: sounds like a plan. Um and also I see that uh you have here in your bio that uh you worked with uh various groups, uh such as um the daughters and sons to work dot org. Take yes, in, uh, to my, word.
1: Mm-hmm. in my marketing career, um I worked in marketing and merchandising for the Ms. Foundation for Women who started Take Our Daughters to Work Day, which has now evolved into Take Our Daughters uh, and Sons to Work Day. Um, And that was a tremendous experience um, working with uh, uh, a major nonprofit organization to really encourage um, the mentorship between um, uh, parents and child and just even – um, in terms of empowering young girls at the time and empowering young men, apparently um, young boys, to see what it is like a day a day in the life of uh, an adult. Um, you know, oftentimes kids just see parents leave home and take their briefcase or their tool bag or whatever, but they have no idea what goes on in that day um, and how important it is um for the schoolwork they're doing now into what's going to happen to them when they grow up. Um, and so working um, on that project was very, very rewarding.
0: Okay. And then the last question I have for you um, before we close and uh, is this Mandela connection. How are you connected to Nelson Mandela? Well, Nelson Mandela, I
1: think we, we all sort of love him and, and continue to pray for him and... Um,
0: um,
1: and so I've been fortunate to have several interactions um, with his his impact on the world. Um, another organization that I uh worked for was the Africa Fund, um and that was during the anti apartheid movement and when he was released um from prison and the first democratic election in South Africa. So I worked with a group of religious leaders to um, prepare them to go or should be election observers during that first democratic election in South Africa. Um, and when he came to visit New York, was fortunate enough to meet him. At that time, I didn't get a chance to go to South Africa. But since then, um, I think it was in a couple of years back during the World Cup, I was lucky enough to go and present at the University of South Africa in Pretoria, um, talking about archives. And the work that we've been doing here in in, in digitization and preservation, um, and particularly looking at um, the anti-apartheid movement in the United States, um, those archives, especially uh, the Congressional Black Caucus, the work that they did around that, and particularly around um, the sanctions bill that that uh, they were instrumental in passing, and which was also a pivotal moment in terms of Uh, the fall of the apartheid regime. Um, And I visited also his archives in South Africa, which was amazing uh, to see, Um, and and it includes his letters um, and his journals from when he was imprisoned uh, for all those years, Um, the work that he did beforehand, um, when he was on the ground um, really working uh to dismantle apartheid, and then also when he was um in the presidency um, and so talking with the archivists there and sharing notes back and forth um in terms of what they 're doing in, in in their preservation uh policies and sort of what we 're doing and what the what the common threads are uh between um the United States of black history and South African history was an an amazing experience.
0: Okay, sounds like that was uh, truly exciting to you. What other um, research projects uh, made you feel the same sort of excitement?
1: Well, I can honestly say um, all of the projects that I've been working on uh, really – excite me and and I'm lucky enough to be able to work on uh, do the work that excites me Um, a couple of projects Mm -hmm. I can mention that I've been working on Um, one is I've been doing my uncle was a photographer in Trinidad and he has over 50 years of um, photos
0: of um,
1: the um, from the colonial period to independence to the the modern day um, uh, evolution of um, this Caribbean nation state um, and so I'm working on a script uh, for the Trinidad Film Commission there and hope to actually produce um, the film to be able to really show that retrospective and that rich history in that part of the world um, also working with several different archives to mm-hmm. uh, digitize and also communicate their history um, whether it be uh, for church. Are you
0: there? Uh, you are cutting in and out just a little bit. Okay. Is that better? Okay, now I can hear you. I can hear you now. Okay. okay.
1: Um, also working with the National Park Service uh, to bring to life through video um, these important African-American heritage sites that they have, and also the, the long history that um, African-Americans have in national parks. Uh, if we look at even before Marian Anderson um, at the Lincoln Memorial, we can look at um, the day activities in the 1920s that happened at the Lincoln Memorial and other national parks that um uh African Americans have used as um as as uh community uh sites and um family activities and just other sort of um freedom and uh, exercise of, of of um civic duty um and civic rights um I think is important. So that's been also an exciting project to work on.
0: Um when you mentioned National Park Service, I think of Sherry Jackson. She works with the National Park Service. Do you know of Sherry? I don't. I have not had the pleasure of meeting her. Okay. okay another um, uh, point I wanted to mention to you. Recently, I discovered uh, a list of historical um, black, what do you call it? Oh. oh, I'm sorry. Not tourist attractions, but resorts. Mm-hmm. And um, I was wondering if that would interest you as far as documenting them. And uh, I had a few guests come on. There's one in in New Jersey, and I'm going to have some people, you know, who own property there just come on and talk about that. Uh, Do you think that's something that might interest your, your, you know, your company? Is, Is it worth documenting?
1: Oh, yes, I think I definitely think so. That is an important topic. I learned a lot of that from a, a friend, colleague of mine, um, Patsy Fletcher. She's done extensive research in terms of um, areas of resort and leisure for African, historic areas, resort and leisure for African Americans. So I definitely want to connect you with her as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's important to know, particularly as these sites um, In terms of their preservation, and oftentimes, um, if they're because of uh, real estate issues, they're no longer there. I think it's important to know where they were.
0: Right, like the Inkwell and Idlewild, just one that we talked about. So, um, and I think it's important we mentioned. You know, we close on that note. This is Memorial uh, Day weekend, and uh, hopefully, our listeners will be patronizing some of our historical sites. either while they're on their trip uh, in transit or even uh, if they're staying at some of our historical uh, historical hotels. Um, With that being said, I want to give you the last word, um, any advice, uh, comments you'd like to make as we close, and, of course, your contact info.
1: Sure, definitely. This was a great pleasure, and I'm a big fan of the work that you're doing and I would just encourage um, your listeners that everybody has a story, and everybody's story is worth preserving. Um, so if it's just simply taking a tape recorder or the tape recorder on your phone um, to a, a community elder or a, an elder within your family and hearing them tell the story of your um, of your ancestors and just sort of what it was like for them growing up, I think that's something that you'll treasure, and it'll be a wonderful asset to um put in uh the family chest for generations to come. Um and that, like I said, can be simply done um, so and and take absolutely no time at all. So I would just encourage everyone to share, preserve, and, and really express themselves um, because this history is your history as well. And please feel free to contact me. I'm at um Doublebackproductions.com. You can also find uh at a Facebook site, DoubleBackProd, Prod, and follow me on Twitter. Reach out, let me know your stories, and we'll definitely stay in touch.
0: Right. Thank you, Miss Eiffel. And I meant to tell you earlier my name is Leslie. You don't have to call me Miss Kiss. And um I'm looking forward to having you back on the show and uh sharing all your work, the YouTube video. Uh what site was that again?
1: It's um at youtube.com slash
0: doublebackprod, P-R-O-D. Wonderful. And have a great night and a, a happy and festive holiday weekend. Same to you. Thank you all. All right. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. <laughs>